Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Welcome to Lady Startup Stories. This is Mamma Mia's podcast where we find out how female entrepreneurs built their businesses. And I'm your host, Shazzy Hunt. This podcast is part of the Lady Startup movement that helps women launch and grow their businesses. If it was founded or co-founded by a woman, it's a lady startup. Hi, I'm Alira Potter. My pronouns are she and they, and this is my Lady Startup Story. Our guest today, Alira Potter, has a very unique business. She describes herself as a proud Yorta Yorta woman, an intuitive, a creator, writer, speaker, a model, an empowerment and mindset coach, manifesting queen, baby witch, and an all-round spiritual sister. But Alira's life even just over 12 months ago looked nothing like this. She was newly divorced, working in a corporate job, living paycheck to paycheck, and had turned to partying as a coping mechanism. But then in early 2020, after a four-day bender, she realised something needed to give. So as the world went into lockdown, Alira went on a detox. She turned to her late mother's oracle cards for spiritual guidance, and soon enough, she started giving readings to family and friends and began reconnecting with her spirituality. Then Alira thought, maybe I can make this a serious side hustle. So she did an Instagram call out saying that she would give readings and energy healing for just 15 bucks. And it took off. Soon enough, she became booked out six months in advance. At this point, Alira quit her corporate job and started working for herself. At the time, Alira said she had no idea how to run a business, how to invoice clients or even how to get an ABN. But she knew she was on the right track. Fast forward to today and Alira has a team behind her. She's just released a book and she is earning in the six figures. So how has Alira created a profitable business that is as unique as she is? And what are her tips for anyone trying to create a business that extends beyond creating products? Here's Alira. Alira, welcome to the Lady Startup Stories podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. We are so excited. You have just launched your book as of a few weeks ago, and I actually want to start right there. I know you've got your trusty copy right there for me, and I'd love for you to just read from me from page five, just a little bit, just to set the tone of what today's chat is all about. Amazing. Okay. So 12 months ago, I had $100 in my bank account. I was working in the corporate world. I was burnt out, and I was far from living my best life. Now I have left my corporate world behind and I have my own six-figure business and two fur babies that I am obsessed with and I did it all on my own. 
I created this life for myself through hard work and manifestation, and that's what I want to share in this book because I'd wish I had more inspirational Aboriginal women to look up to as a kid to show more that I could do it and anything was possible. I want you to take me all the way back to the beginning and tell me about your early family life and your time growing up. Yeah, I mean, like growing up, I lived a pretty, I don't know, pretty simple life. Mum was a single mum who worked like three jobs at one point just to put food on the table. So we grew up pretty poor, but we managed. We got everything like how we should and yeah, I don't know. My childhood was very interesting to say the least. I had identity struggles. I grew up being bullied, just like lots of little things, I guess, that have sort of shaped me to be this person that I am today. Mm. And sadly, when I was 17, my mum passed away from skin cancer. And I think that definitive moment really sort of started to shape who I am today. And it sort of started to curate absolutely everything in my existence. As much as it sucks that I've lost a parent, I keep saying to people, that moment has really made everything how it kind of should be right now, which is bizarre to say. Tell me a bit about your interests during that time. First of all, did you already have that entrepreneurial spirit around you? Was it in your family? Was your mum big into that? Yeah, so I mean, mum was really into like spiritual witchy stuff growing up and me just being a teenager, I was like not having a bar of it, not interested. (laughs) Um, In terms of, I guess, like entrepreneurial sort of people around me, I didn't have that. I just, everyone was very like middle class, nine to five sort of jobs. I think no sort of desire to maybe like step into any of these like business spaces, which is so fun. I think it was just that sort of generation at the time. And you definitely didn't see it coming in terms of, you know, that your mum had these powers about her. Mm. You didn't see, you know, that maybe it was in your own future at that no, stage? No, I didn't. I I remember finishing like VCE, that's, yeah, the Victorian Certificate of Education back in my day. That feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> I finished high school and I went straight into uni because I thought that was the right thing to do. And I was studying a dual degree of nursing and paramedicine, believe it or not. And I just remember sort of doing this being like, this is not what you were made to do. (laughs) And I think it wasn't until like after my divorce and my late 20s is where I really stepped into the spirituality side of things and everything has just honestly been a whirlwind since that moment. Wait, hold up. I did just hear divorce in your late 20s. We are like going to unpack this major. I do want to take a step back though. So tell me a bit about your mum's healing and witchy powers as you Mm. describe them. What did you see? Well, she would always have like oracle cards around and there was crystals through the house and the house itself, like she just created like a really spiritual sort of presence but wouldn't make it all like woo-woo in front of us or anything. I know that she went to like this sort of, she would just call it like a circle once a week, but deep down I knew it was like this like witch spiritual thing that she would go to <laughs> with her friends, which was really cool. So I think I like I grew up in that space, but I just always thought, oh, it's just like a hobby. It's just yeah. for fun. Like mum was doing it as an outlet to look after her own well-being. So I would see it as that. But now it's like my full-time job. <laughs> I do want to talk about that period, you know, when you found out your mum became unwell and how you coped with it. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you cope when your mum dies when you're 17? I just, you can't. I describe probably those 12 months 
as a bit of a fog and I think a lot of people would resonate with me if they've lost you know a loved one that sort of weird grief fog she got diagnosed yeah 2008 I should say re-diagnosed with skin cancer and at this point the cancer had just spread through her body and the doctors were like this is it like there's no going back we can't basically fix her and I think me being so naive and young I was like "Mm, you're a doctor like you can fix this and you should fix it but yeah, sadly, she passed away towards the end of 2008. And honestly, I think I suppressed so much emotion that I didn't deal with it until my late 20s. Did, you know, that spiritual side of her and you help it all through that time? I think it, it did a little bit, but I think I had to really grow up. I didn't get to experience what a lot of people in their early 20s did, like partying and Mm. having fun. I really had to grow up fast because my dad was out of the picture. It was just sort of, you know, me and myself and I and my family to support me. But I think because I was turning 18, I was an adult, so I had to sort of figure my life out, so to speak. And as you said, you didn't go down that partying early 20s route you went the other way and became a housewife. Ooh. Tell me what happened. <laughs> I know. Every time I bring this up with friends, they just look <laughs> at me and they're like, I can't imagine you being a wife. And your I'm little like, apron, little cookies. And- oh my gosh. I mean, I live with no regret. And I just think that was such a beautiful experience and moment in my existence. I got married to the most beautiful man, but unfortunately, we just decided that it wasn't going to work for us. And during that time, I think. I think if you met me in my married life, you would be like, this is not the same person. I was, (laughs) I was extroverted, but I was quite introverted and I was quite happy just to sort of work whatever hospitality job came my way. I sort of put my, I guess, dreams on hold. I put everything to the back burner because I suppose that's what some people decide to do when they get married is just put that partner first. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, but yeah, completely different human being. I mean, it probably wasn't until the end of the marriage was where I was like, put yourself first, like now's the time. I want to hear about those little embers that started to kind of pick up into a little fire during that marriage that gave you not only, you know, the possibility of maybe Mm -hmm. branching out and starting a whole new life, but also that you wanted to do something for yourself. Yeah. I mean, during that time when I was married, I actually got into photography as like an outlet. And that was my way to switch off from everything, deal with my anxiety. And the photography actually led me down the path of just people contacting me and saying, can you just come and take photos of like, you know, our cafe? And, and I was like, yeah, of course. And then it just turned into this like tiny little side hustle, which I loved. And I think that's where the networking side of things began for me. I started sort of making a name for myself in Geelong where I'm living at the moment. And then my Instagram sort of blew up. That's back with my foodie sort of account. And that sort of started the fire to, Mm. I guess, that entrepreneurial life that I'm living right now. Did it kind of all happen at the same time that your marriage ended as well? It's just a funny story. Like we ended it so mutually that we were both like, we're both not happy. Let's end it. We don't need to fix what's broken. Like let's move on and just, you know, do the things that we want to do in our life. And we did exactly that. And that's when I guess all the suppressed emotions and all the fun stuff started to 
come on up after that marriage. Talk to me about your, I want to call it spiritual awakening. That sounds so cheesy, but tell me what happened. So after the marriage, yeah, we split. I moved into a share house. I was so out of my comfort zone. Then for a solid 12 months, I spiraled with drugs, alcohol. I was just binge eating. I wasn't looking after myself. I really surrounded myself with the wrong type of humans that I just, it was a shocking time, 12 months of like hell. But having said that, I wouldn't change it because it's created this path for where I am now. Because once that sort of 12 month mark hit, I just remember a friend saying to me, what are you doing with your life? Like, what are you doing? You just work nine to five. That's not like you. You had all these like dreams and aspirations and you were doing your photography and blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, yeah, you're right. You're so right. I need to get out of this like little dark hole that I'm in right now because I was just partying so much that it was just like numbing my brain. I then a few years back, so this is all very recent, a few years ago, I discovered my mum's oracle cards. This was like probably a week or two after I decided that I was going to go sober. I was going to cut out these toxic friends and I was going to just listen to my body and just do that spiritual awakening. Found mum's oracle cards and I just started playing with them. And I was like, oh. Had she left them, sorry, specifically for you? Like did yeah. she say these are for you? Yeah, these are for you. And I just put them away in a drawer and I was like, no, I'm not interested. Like I don't understand why you're giving me these oracle cards. It's like she almost knew, which was kind of spooky. <laughs> and I just remember like playing with these oracle cards and just being like, oh, maybe maybe there's more to this because I just started feeling a lot and I started like allowing my intuition to open up as well too. And that's when it all just started to happen. Like life, life began. Yeah. <laughs> the awakening began. <laughs> <laughs> Career-wise during that moment, what were you doing? I was in corporate. I was working literally a nine to five corporate job while I was like partying for so you were 12 months. Working hard nine to five on the weekdays and then partying and blowing it all on the weekends. Pretty much. Yeah. It was just like party central on the weekends. And then I was just working like the most boring nine to five job ever. When you know you found the Oracle cards and you took those first kind of steps into the spiritual healing, reading, Reiki world. How did you decide what you're going to do with that? Yeah, I mean, I just sort of like just started utilizing the cards every day as like, you know, the daily pull of the card to set me up for the day. And then I started like just tapping in a little bit more. And then I was like, oh, maybe I'll just try and do some readings on like friends just for fun. And I started doing that. And you were still working corporate at this stage, yeah? Still working corporate, yeah. yeah. And just doing like this on the side as an outlet, as my way to sort of cope with the no No partying, yeah, that's what I was thinking. This is like your new thing. This is the new thing. (laughs) And I just remember like doing readings on friends and things like that and family and it was just a little bit of fun. And then I remember these moments being like, oh, like things are happening. Why am I like feeling that or why am I hearing that? Like all these sort like of- Like what would happen? Like spiritual downloads were happening. What does that mean? <laughs> like messages from spirit were coming on in and I was like, oh, this is so wild. Like, like you is, hear it Like psychic, yeah, which was insane. And then I remember reaching out to a mentor just being like, I think I need someone to guide me on this path. I'm not too sure what to do. And then I started doing a lot of spiritual development courses in relation to my intuition. 
in regards to mediumship because I wanted to know more. I wanted to just be educated on it. I wanted to know how to like really open myself up spiritually with this. And that's when I did my Reiki course as well, so energy healing. And then it really just opened up to the point where I was like, okay, let's take this seriously. Like let's put it out on Instagram. Mind you, I had maybe like 2,000 followers at the time. I'll put it out on Instagram and see if anyone is interested. I'll charge them $15 for like (sighs) a reading and an energy healing and we'll just have a bit of fun. Yeah. And then the feedback that I got from it was like, oh, my God, this is insane. Like what the hell? Like do more. (sighs) And I just kept getting like inquiries and it was inquiries from like friends of friends. And then from that point on I was like, okay, let's let's do this as a side hustle and see how this goes. Like a little bit of fun. And yeah, that's how it started, which is crazy. I'd love to know about those first readings at 15 bucks for a reading. Yeah. The first people you had in, were they people you actually knew already or were they people who just were on your Instagram following? Yeah, it was just friends of friends and then it became like people I didn't know, which was amazing. So I was doing them like via Zoom and via FaceTime and it was just so Was this so in the crazy. pandemic? Sorry, I should timeline this. Yes, yes. yes. Okay, was, so that's yeah. why it was that you didn't kind of do this. Yeah. Because I would think face-to-face would be really powerful for this kind yes. of thing. But I guess in the pandemic we have to do what we have to do. That's <laughs> it, exactly that. So, yeah, we did it. I just did it all via Zoom and via yeah. FaceTime, which was like really crazy. And it was just, it's so hard to explain, I guess, if you're not sort of understanding of, I guess, mediumship, but you'll receive downloads, all these like messages that come through for that person while you're actually doing a reading with them. And the messages that I was getting, it's like thoughts dropping into my head. And I was just, I remember the first reading that I did, I was like, why am I thinking this? And yeah. I was like, oh no, this is a message for that person. And I would just say, hey, I've got this, I'm just going to let you know. And they were like, how did you know that? <gasps> like, what do you mean? And so I just trusted myself more and I listened to what was happening. And from then on, I was like booked out, I think, for like six, seven months in advance while working my corporate job. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that it's like you were learning. I'm doing quotation marks, learning on the job, um, doing it. You know, you're like, what's going on in my head? And I have to say mm-hmm. this out loud to the person and the other person's getting this huge reaction. Yes. It's almost like in that time you were honing your craft in this world. Pretty much. And I wanted to learn more and I wanted to do more. So that's when I started doing like lots more courses around mm. it. And it funnily enough led me down the path of doing like a life coaching course with Beautiful You Academy. They were like, you should come and do a course with us. We think you've just got so much to give. And I was like, oh, like I do it just for self-development. And I remember the owner, Julie Parker, she was like, you can do it for yourself, but I just think there's much more to this Mm. than like you self-developing. And I completed that course. And then again, like clients just kept coming to me. At what point did you decide it's time to cut the cord on the corporate world and follow this intensively? Yeah, right during the pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) I remember I, because I was still working from home in the corporate job in the corporate world and I rang my boss and I just said, look, I think now's the time. And I just remember him putting me down in a way to be like, is this something that you actually want to do? And I was like, Did you tell him exactly what you were doing as well? Yeah, I said I'm quitting to be a full-time witch and he just laughed and I was like, okay, he thinks I'm taking a piss right now so I get it. But he, yeah, he was just like, I I don't think you should during a pandemic and I was like, 
I think now's the best time and the worst thing that could happen is I have to go and get a job in retail or like yeah. at the supermarket or something because I failed. I'm like, if I don't quit right now, I'm going to live with so much regret. And I just remember I resigned. I gave them three weeks notice. And when that three weeks finished, I just remember like finishing my corporate job and being like, okay, you have no plan. Let's just roll with it. <laughs> like whatever happens, happens. And probably a month after I quit is when my, or Simon and Schuster, my publishers reached out to me and they were like, write a book for us. <gasps> and that's how wild and witchy came to fruition. It's crazy. Did you have any fear within you, you know, when you were, having that talk with your boss and he's giving you the negative vibes on it and um, you're thinking, I'm not going to have that regular paycheck anymore. It's all going to be on me to make it happen. Yeah, 100%. I had this like really deep-rooted fear where, oh, my God, like what's going to happen? Like I'm not going to have money or I'm not going to have the security. And I was panicking and I just thought, prove them wrong. Prove your boss wrong. Prove to these people that you worked with in the corporate world that you are destined for something so much bigger than working a nine-to-five grind. Mm. And I always had that in the back of my mind, just being like, just do it. What's the worst that's going to happen? What were some of the biggest early learnings you got from those first sessions when you were all out on your own? What are the things you started to realise about you and the way your business had to operate in order to make it work? Yeah, I think I needed to have really clear structure and boundaries around the energy that I was giving and putting out there with people, I understood that I was like really unorganized and I needed to like get organized (laughs) and have like a booking system and things like that. Cause Mm. at the time I was like writing the dates in a book. Like I just had no structure whatsoever. So I really like understood that I had no idea about running a business, but I outsourced help to help me run the business. And that was the best thing that I did because now it's just like I have so much help. I do want to go into that a little bit more. First of all, it's something that I imagine a lot of people, not just in fields like yours, but in creative fields as well, Mm. they've got talent for something. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you can run a great business operation. Pretty much. Yeah, I was like, I need to buy my tongue and just be like, you need help and that's okay. Like ask for help because it's going to like help you long-term. And I remember at the time I just got signed to my management for, I guess, all the content creation stuff that I do on social media as well too. And I just remember being like, okay, the universe is giving you people to help you. Like take it, take it, take it. And I did. And I hold no shame in saying like, I had no idea how to run a business. I (laughs) I didn't even know at the time how to sign up to get an ABN, but I was like, ask somebody, ask people, ask those mentors that are going to help you. Like my accountant messages me and I'm just like, can you not message me? I don't want to know like how much I owe or anything like that. Like I'm just going to delete your emails. Just tell me the end. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, there's still things that I'm workshopping and still things that I really don't understand. But I think that comes with the beauty of running your own business. It's like, it's your business. It's okay if you make little mistakes because then you can ask people for help. So you have an accountant and a manager for Mm -hmm. your social media content. Mm -hmm. What were some of the other outsourcing elements and people you put in place? 
I had, and I still do have a PA that helps with just like little bits of admin here and there when I'm really, really overwhelmed or I just can't be bothered responding to emails. I'll be like, can you do this? Yep. No worries. I have, it's, it's bizarre and I, social media is my job, but I have a social media team now that does help me with like figuring out when to schedule things and they do all my graphics for me on social media now and they're doing my website and they do all the EDMs on like sending out my emails and stuff. So I've got literally like a team around me at the moment, a team of women, might I just add, a team of women. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. For a lot of people, outsourcing in this way spells spending money. How do you justify that in your business operation, particularly when it's so young? Why do you think it's so important to spend that money and put it back into your business in order to be able to keep the wheels turning? Yeah. I mean, this is where I'm going to like talk about manifestation and Mm. your mindset because I grew up with a really unhealthy relationship with money. I always saw money as something negative. And the reason I guess I had to switch my mindset to like invest in like doing those things, like getting a website and putting money into the business is like the money will come back and that's A-okay. So everything that I outsource and every time I put money into the business, I'm like, that's going to come back to me three times. I always have these like money mantras. So I'm always positive around talking about money and just know that it's an investment and it'll come back to you. Yeah, because I think it's so scary for a lot of people. They're thinking, I'm trying to make a business to make money. And then the idea of seeing it just pour back out again can Mm -hmm. be frightening. Yeah, of course. And it's so frightening. Like, I just remember like putting all this money sort of out there and being like, oh my gosh, like I hope this comes back. And then I just was like, no, like you, you manifested this whole career. Like it'll come back. It's so fine. I'm so glad you brought up manifestation and, you know, that power of setting Mm. intentions, which I know you talk about a lot in your book as well. And I know it's something you teach your clients to do, but I want to know how you did it in your own business. Yeah. What were the intentions you put in place? The intentions were really small. It was, I want to work for myself and I know I will work for myself. I had the intention, a small intention of just making sure that I did hit six figures. And it's like, That's all I wanted to do. And I feel like I've ticked that. (laughs) Manifestation is where we essentially curate and create our own reality. So whatever you put out to the universe is what you're sort of wishing would come back to you. And I did all those things. And the way in which I manifest everything for my business at the moment is I'm not afraid to put it out there to be like, I want to work with this brand or I want to earn this amount of money on the next, like whatever thing I'm doing. So I just put it out there and just know that it's going to come to me in divine timing. Well, how do you put it out there? Do you write it down? Do you, yep, I don't I know, just put down. it on socials? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I literally, I've got a board behind me. I write it down on this like big white board or I'll write down on a piece of paper and I'll say things like, say for instance, if it's money, I'll write down, I allow $20,000 to come into my bank account. And then I'll sort of tap into that feeling that I want to feel when that money is already in my account. And then I'll start to visualize that $20,000 in my bank account, even though it's not there, but we want to like tap into that feeling. And then I'll just like pop that bit of paper away or pop the whiteboard away and just know that it's coming to me. Yeah. Yeah. I know um, some of the parts of your business for some people listening might be way too, you know, Mm. woo-woo and out there, but I do think with this manifestation side, Mm -hmm. for those people, how can you explain to them the power of 
making something clear, spelling it out and making this clear intention when it comes to your business, even if you were totally not a believer in any of this? Yeah. I mean, like manifestation doesn't have to be looked at as something that's spiritual and woo-woo. Think of it as you all set goals for your business and you all have these like beautiful goals for the three, six, 12 months. Change that wording to intentions for your business or manifestations for your business and write down as if it's already happening. So we know it's not here right now, but we want it to come on in. So we're just going to write down, yes, I want my business to thrive in in 12 months' time. So we're writing these things down. And I think that's the beauty of manifestation because you just need to switch your mindset and you just need to switch the wording around. So switching it from like goals to intentions is like the power of the universe as well too. I want to talk about how like many people in that Gen Z millennial age group, you're just this ultimate slashy in your professional business. And, you know, you're an intuitive reader, healer, you're a writer now, you're a published author Mm. and a spiritual coach. Is it possible to have your fingers in so many business pies while having a business that is your own? Well, I think for me, I guess, and everyone's going to be different. Like I have the privilege of, I don't have any dependents. I've got two fur babies and I'm (laughs) single and I have the beauty of being able to do it all. And I think hundred percent, you can do it all. I think the best way to sort of tell people to be able to do the side hustle and work the business or whatever it may be, is like, don't be afraid to outsource. Mm. Outsource is huge. Like I still get made fun of from people when I say I have a cleaner and I'm like, no, 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 this frees up my time because I have other things to do. This is a part Mm. of my business. Like just those little things. Like I have a dog walker for Cosmo because sometimes I can't take him for a walk. Like I need to put my energy and my money into my business. So That's so interesting. It's not just outsource in your business, not just get an accountant, not just your life outsourcing as well so that you have more freedom to be able to Mm -hmm. be the ultimate slashy. Exactly. And do all the things that I want to do. And I love it because when people are like, what do you do for work? And I'm like, (laughs) oh, a lot, (laughs) a lot. Like I, I literally just say, oh, I'm self-employed. Yeah. Like, but what do you do? And I'm like, lots. <laughs> Does there come a point where one element of the business becomes the focus and the others are kind of more supplementary and supportive, even if they do intertwine? Yeah, definitely. And I'm really noticing that now, actually. So I'm realizing that I'm the main focus of the business. Like me, Alira Potter is the brand. The Alira Potter brand is the focus, yeah. not what you're doing as such. Yeah, which is kind of cool. And I'm I'm sort of not used to that. And I really, really enjoy that. And I like it in a way because people are listening to what I have to say and they want to hear more of the things that I'm doing. And then all the things that I'm doing on the side of it sort of complement me because it just sort of amplifies the Alira Potter brand, which is kind mm. of cool. At what point did you realize that, that it's actually the brand, not the healing sessions I'm giving, not mm-hmm. the book I'm writing, but it's my brand that is the main thrust of my business? Yeah, I think it was probably last year when I got announced as, I guess, one of the faces of the body shop. And I just remember being like, oh, they wanted me like, obviously for the work that I'm doing, but they wanted me for me. I see where this is going. And then from that point on, I just kept getting sort of campaign after campaign and social media like deal, whatever it was. And people just wanted me for me, which was really cool. Tell me a little bit about your business and brand within 
this broader identity of the wellness industry. You know, it's one of the fastest growing industries in Australia worth millions of dollars and even more worldwide. How do you feel, first of all, about having the things you do and your brand within this space? Yeah, I mean, stepping into, I guess, the wellness space was pretty tricky. I guess being a person of colour, I just felt like there needed to be more cultural safety and awareness within the space. And I wanted to be that point of difference where I'm offering the readings and the healings, but I'm doing it from a real culturally safe direction as well too. Yeah, it's like I love the space that I'm in, but it's a tricky one to navigate as a person mm. of colour, let me tell you. Yeah. I'd love to hear a bit more about that and you know, why you think there's an underrepresentation in the wellness space as an industry, both on the business owner, but also the client side as well. Yeah. I just think we need more representation of people of colour. We need cultural safety through businesses. And when I say representation, I'm saying like, we need to look at the wellness space from a whole, right? Mm. So from activewear brands to the supplements that we take to whatever it may be. I just remember seeing like, so many white people I'm like why is there so many white people and then why isn't there people of different body diversity as well too I just thought that was lacking because I'm a plus size girl but also I'm a healthy plus size girl like I take supplements I go to the gym yeah I just thought there was no representation so I wanted to be that point of difference and I remember my manager and I were being like if we're working with these wellness brands we need to make sure that it's not going to be like tokenistic to tick the box and be like oh, yeah, the black girl, she's done, like, Mm. that campaign. Mm. Like, it had to be long-term campaigns and long-term relationships. So I'd love to think me stepping into the wellness space has made a little bit of a ripple effect for that next generation, but it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one to navigate. With your work as an intuitive reader and a healer, I understand you incorporate some Indigenous practices and First Nations knowledge into your work. But for others who are in this wellness space who might be incorporating, you know, centuries-old traditions or practices into their businesses and are maybe quite far removed from the cultural origin, how can these kind of businesses do this in a way that is respectful and honouring the practices that they're using when they don't have that personal connection like what you do? I think when I started my business, I wanted to make sure that there was the cultural safety. I wanted to make sure that there was an acknowledgement of country every time I did a session with a client, whether that be an intuitive reading or a healing, whatever it may be. I wanted to incorporate cultural elements to show people that this is really sacred to me and it's really important for me as an Indigenous woman. I think at the moment people do need to recognise what rituals and what practices they are using and doing and understanding where it's coming from. It's great to celebrate a culture, but it's not great to appropriate a culture. I always sort of lean back onto, you know, the Palo Santo. And I say that to people in the wellness space, don't use it. It's appropriating another culture that we don't need to appropriate. Yes, we can respect it and we can honour it, but we don't need to get involved in another culture's spiritual practices when it's not ours. Mm. For wellness businesses that do feature elements that have ultimately been derived from a traditional culture, what are some of the ways they can do it in a culturally sensitive and respectful way? What are some of the things Mm. you suggest to businesses who are like, hey, I want to do the right thing. I'm trying to educate myself and learn and for our clients as well to understand where this has come from. So they have good intentions, but they're just not sure how to go about it. 
Yeah, I think definitely do your research and don't be afraid to get educated around that culture. I mean, for me, I'd love to see more wellness spaces doing things like having an acknowledgement of country before a yoga session or having a plaque on the building as soon as I walk in. That's not just acknowledging the country that you live, breathe, work on, but that's giving me a culturally safe space to walk on into which is like really powerful in itself. But don't be afraid to research. I think it's really important like to acknowledge that you may not be educated in something. So go and educate yourself just that little bit more. I do want to talk about your book, which has just launched, as we said. Congratulations. Thank you. Tell me about the process of landing a book deal. For many business owners across a broad spectrum of industries, this is one of those bucket list goals that sits on the list and they have no idea how to go about it. So tell me how your book deal came about. Yeah, I think I was really lucky. I was one of the lucky ones where my publisher actually came to me and was like, if you could write a book, like what would you want to write a book on? And I was like, oh, everything that I've experienced in life, everything that I've done, I want to put it in a book for people that they can dip in and out of and where they can learn about self-love, they can learn about intuition, they can learn about, you know, ways to look after their mental well-being and, you know, talk about grief and things like that. So they were amazing, Simon and Schuster, and they were just like, let's roll with it. Beyond the financial gain of, you know, physical book sales, Mm -hmm. which is a given, why is a book and publishing a book and then having it be a presence in bookstores and retailers, you know, someone walks into a big chain store and they see your book there. Why is that important as far as a brand building exercise for the Alira Potter brand? I think because I'm a First Nations woman who is just absolutely thriving at the moment and I think that should be celebrated. So when people do walk into these retailers and they see my book, it's like it's not just a book. It's a book where I've been able to show my existence in this whole entire book, but it's also black excellence sitting on the shelf as well too. I'm just like, yes, yes, 100% yes. I have no follow-up question for that, yes. I do want to talk about brand building in the social media space as well because your following has just grown so rapidly alongside the fast trajectory of your business. So tell me how you started to build up your following. What were you putting that was getting responses Mm. and and how did you get the word out there to so many people so fast? It's so crazy. I think during the time of the Black Lives Matter movement, I started sharing more about the work that I was doing and especially in the wellness space that a lot of people saw it and were like, oh, okay, we need to like make this a change. And then I think it just got picked up by so many influential people, celebrities, whatever it may be, that my account just started growing. And then I just started sharing more about myself and my journey as a woman and my journey with self-love and whatever it was. And people were just resonating with it. Like I just remember getting messages from people being like, thank you so much for sharing that you were having a really bad mental health day. That humanized that for me because we don't see a lot of influencers sharing real life things. And I thought, okay, this is where I can be that point of difference because I'm just going to share the real, the raw and everything else in between. And that's where my social media just sort of blew up. How important do you think that authenticity is? Particularly so many people with businesses like, okay, what's my social media strategy? What's the plan going to be? Do you need to almost let that go a little bit and think a little bit more? It's me. I need to just be me. Yeah. And I mean, if it's just for you as a brand, like as an individual, then yes, like push that aside and just post, 
just post that real, that rawness. I think strategies are great if it's like a product focused business, hundred percent. But yeah, mm-hmm. I just had to let everything go and just be like, just post. Do you ever get scared about putting yourself out there so much and that, you know, some person who's having a bad day might write something snarky back to you or happens all the time happens all the time I constantly get like little random trolls in my dms and like if I comment on something or I'm like I disagree with this blah 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 a lot of people will be like oh you're supposed to be like an empowerment coach and it's like yeah I'm empowering for people to make conscious decisions about who they're following on social media 100% but I just think people who want to spin a negative message to me that's a reflection on them not on me because I'm not doing anything wrong apart from being myself. What's next for the Alira Potter brand? What are your short and long-term goals for the business? Oh short term I just think like keep doing what I'm doing. I'm in a really cool space at the moment where I just want to keep money just coming on in and making sure that like I'm paying my bills on time and doing all that sort of stuff. Long term um, I'd love to write another book down the track that's the goal but Someone else asked me that recently and I just think I'm so grateful and I'm so happy where I am right now that I've ticked off so much that right here, right now, I feel so successful that I don't know what more I could ask for. We finish off every interview with the Fast Five, which are just some quick fire questions. So here we go. Question one, what's the most useful app you use to help with your business operation? Sometimes I like to like, you know, not edit my photos, but make them a little bit more brighter and just like more just colorful. I use the app Tone, which is really good for like just not adding filters, but just making things a little bit more poppy. Question two, what's the part of your business that you love the most and hate the most? I hate emails. I hate (laughs) them. Get your PA onto those. Yeah, literally. (laughs) The thing I love the most is the connections that I've built with people and that I will continue to build with people. Question three, do you have any regrets about the business? Nothing. It's all like lessons in my eyes if I've made a mistake. Question four, what does success look like for you? Right now, growing up, you know, having a really, you know, a single mum, not having our bills paid on time and things like that. Success for me right now is like all my bills are up to date. I've got a roof over my head. I've got food in the fridge. My animals are content. I'm happy. Like this is success. Last one from your experiences, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give to anyone out there considering starting their own business or personal brand for that matter? Mm, I just think just do it. What's the worst that's going to happen? There is space for you in this world. I think that's really important. Thank you so much, Alira. I wish we all got to quit our corporate job saying, I'm going to be a witch now. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we should. Yeah, do it. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Now it's time for my top three takeaways. This is the part of the show where I share three of my favorite bits of wisdom from the interview you just heard. First up, use data to know when to back yourself. When it comes to business, you'll get a lot of opinions from lots of different people, friends, family, even people you don't even really know. And for Alira, these people were her colleagues. Quitting work to become a full-time witch wasn't something people she worked with were in support of. Her colleagues couldn't understand why she would leave the stability of her full-time work to pursue a passion project. If you're at a similar stage and ready to make the leap from side hustle to full-time, our advice is to look at the data. 
How much are you making? How much are your customers spending? And how often are they repeat buyers? How many customers are there in your target market? Have you done the research, the surveys, and just seen if they want to buy something you're selling? And what are your costs of living? What's the minimum salary you need to pay yourself? This is just the start. I know it's a lot, but my point is that this should be a rational decision, not an emotional one. And if you're at this stage, then make sure you check out the Rocket Plan online course from the Lady Startup Academy. It's full of practical, rational guidance about how to scale up your business. Secondly, accepting that starting a business is costly, and that's okay. In our chat, Alira talked about how in the beginning she didn't like spending money. She found it hard to see that spending money on her business was an investment. The fact is, when you start a business, you are going to have a lot of overheads. But it's important to recognize that starting a business costs money and some of these things are unavoidable, whether it's your first lot of manufacturing or on your website. If that's something you struggle with, try one of Alira's mantras, which was, the money will come back. It might not be tomorrow or for months, but it will come back. And my last point, show up on socials. Alira grew her socials pretty quickly, and she attributes that to showing her authentic self on social media. When she started sharing her journey with self-love online, people started to resonate with it and follow her, and that grew through shares online. Obviously, planning content and creating content is important, but If you can humanize your brand or yourself in a way that allows people to get a peek behind the curtain and get to know you and engage with you, it will show up in your follower count and in your sales. The key word here is you, your face, your voice. It's the quickest, the cheapest. It's a shortcut to building trust and credibility with your target customers. And I get that the thought of jumping on camera might make you cringe. If you feel camera shy, nervous, or just unsure, you are not alone. And that's why the Lady Startup Academy team created a free seven-day challenge with daily prompts to help you confidently show up on socials and build real valuable relationships with your followers. It's called Show Up on Socials and I'll drop a link in the show notes or you can head to our Lady Startup Instagram and find it under our free tools highlight. That's about all we have time for today. Thank you so much for joining me. And if you love listening to us, please leave us a review, preferably five stars, wherever you get your podcasts. Lady Startup is an education-based community for women looking to start and grow their own businesses and side hustles. The Lady Startup Academy offers a range of online courses to support businesses of all types, sizes, and stages. For more information, go to ladystartup.com.au. Lady Startup Stories is brought to you by Mamma Mia, produced by Michaela Floriano, and I'm your host, Shazzy Hunt. I'll see you next week. Bye. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.